fam, to episode 43 of the Football MD Podcast, and we have a super exciting episode for you guys today, and barely any of it has to do with the Super Bowl. After we recap Patriots-Rams, we're going to be diving into my co-host Dan's first mock draft of the offseason, going through all 32 picks and giving our first looks at where we think some of this year's top prospects will land. But before we get to that, we have to talk Super Bowl, and what can we really say about this game? Honestly, probably just that that punt was pretty impressive. <laughs> no, definitely for sure. Johnny Hecker setting Super Bowl record with a nice 65-yarder there, but in all seriousness, I was pretty impressed by the Patriots defense in this one. All season long, Jared Goff struggled when defenses were able to generate pressure. According to Pro Football Focus, he had a passing grade of 47.6 on dropbacks that he was pressured on, which was 21st in the NFL. And of course, this was somewhat masked all season by the Ramstrong offensive line that kept him clean and allowed him to wait for some of the longer developing passing routes that the Rams often run. But the Patriots secondary played solid coverage, which forced Goff to hold onto the football and allowed the pass rush to get to him. He was sacked four times in this game by a Patriots pass rush that ranked 30th in the NFL this season with just 30 sacks. So they stepped up big time in this one, and I was pretty impressed by that. And from my perspective, I was a little less impressed. I thought that there was a lot of plays left out on the field that really would just weren't seized. The, the opportunities weren't taken advantage of, and that's poor football. But no doubt, I do agree that the Patriots came out with the right game plan on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, that's Bill Belichick's forte, and it's not that they just brought pressure. It's the way they did it. They did it in exotic ways with stunts and confusing fronts and blitzes and zone coverages on the back end where Jared Goff felt the pressure, and as a less experienced quarterback, he didn't feel comfortable, and in turn, Sean McVay even dialed it back. Yeah, and we were talking before the show started about the difference between how the Rams approach this game and how the Eagles approach this game back in 2017. When the Eagles came out, they were really firing on all cylinders, running those trick plays, going for it on fourth down, really just putting it all on the line and, you know, trying to win the Super Bowl. And that's just not what the Rams did in this one. And that conservative approach that the Rams took to this game combined with the Patriots defense really stepping up set up a lot of third and long situations for the Rams. And Sean McVay's offense has been deadly all season long when it came to third and short situations because you have to worry about the run game, the play action, the boot plays. But when they're backed up to third and eight, third and ten, whatever it may be, you really eliminate the play action, the boot, and just throw off that entire offense. And that's what we saw on Sunday. And just the final takeaway that I have here is that experience clearly matters when it comes to the Super Bowl. Bill Belichick, he outcoached Sean McVay. Brady, he didn't have a great game by any means, but he still found a way to get it done on a few crucial plays where we saw Jared Goff come up short in those situations. We definitely talked about it last week and you nailed it today. I, the experience really paid dividends for the New England Patriots and like you said, the one area of the Rams that really produced was the defense where it's led by Wade Phillips who also has a ton of NFL experience. So again, you know, it seems like it's cliche, or but it really does make a difference. And the other takeaway that I have, it's maybe a little bit of a hot take, something that I wanted to throw out there and see how you guys felt about it. Julian Edelman, I know he won MVP. And in my opinion, as far as the offensive players go, he did definitely deserved that offensive MVP. If that's all you think it is, if it's only an offensive title if defensive players can't win it because if defensive players can win the MVP I think Stephen Gilmore had a pretty strong argument it typically goes to offensive players typically the quarterback but I really do think that Stephon Gilmore he was all over the field he made plays in the run games he made solid tackles he had a couple of pass breakups an interception 
You know, he made good plays. He covered well all game. I think you can make a huge, huge argument of Stephon Gilmore deserving the Super Bowl MVP even more so than Julian Edelman. And I 100% can't disagree that Stephon Gilmore had a phenomenal game. One of the very first things I said was how the Patriots secondary held up, which allowed their pass rush to generate pressure on Jared Goff, stop the run, etc. So the reason I think that Edelman did earn the MVP over Stephon Gilmore was because there were a few players on the Patriots defense that stepped up. You had Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, whereas on offense, when everything else was flat, who was the one moving the chains? It was Julian Edelman. He provided a spark to the offense that they only put up 13 points. But I think if Julian Edelman wasn't on the team or wasn't playing on Sunday, those 13 points might not have been there. And this game could have went a different way. So that's why I think he got the nod. But I mean, either one of these guys, they both had phenomenal games and phenomenal seasons. You yeah. know, that's what everyone's focused and on. And I get it. I do. I really, I do understand. But I always like to play devil's advocate. I like to challenge the norm a little bit. And you'll see that in my mock draft that we're about to get into. I like to, you know, keep things good. Different. <laughs> I like to keep things different. I don't. I'm not trying to go with your, you know, everyday ESPN NFL mock draft. It's going to be a little different. It might be a little quirky. I didn't do any trades in this one. That's something I'm already working on my second mock draft of the season. But no trades, no movement in the original first mock draft of this off season. If you're looking for accurate, detailed, real logical football sense knowledge input, all that. Look at our player profiles at Football MD Pod on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's where you'll get the most out of the realistic nature of these players, where they might be going, where they'll fall in the draft, um, because that's where I'll break down really in detail so much the player. The mock draft is something that I just find fun. It's a fun exercise. It's, yeah. yeah, people definitely find it. I know people find it entertaining, so something we want to deliver to you guys that you know, like I said, we can have some fun with, you guys can enjoy, and uh, gives us something to discuss for uh, a little while on the podcast as well. So we'll get right into that. And I just want to say that, first of all, I had a great time reading through your mock draft. I got a ton of awesome insights into some of these players and needs that they could be filling for certain NFL franchises. And I'm going to be playing devil's advocate a little bit here because one of my favorite things about your mock draft is that it's not the mainstream picks that you see on every single mock draft that you go to. You really made your own picks for players that you think are good fits to certain NFL franchises, and you have good arguments for that. So I'm going to, you know, kind of just try and pull some of that information out of you a little bit. So I don't want you guys to think I'm shitting on my co-host here. I know he's done his homework. This is his lane of expertise here, and I'm just kind of trying to get as much information as I can out of this. So I'm excited to start working through this, and I'll let you kick it off here. All right, so we'll we have a surprise right off the bat. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, first overall pick, I'm going to just address it right now. It is not Nick Bosa. That's obviously the very popular opinion. I give the Arizona Cardinals, like I said, no movement in the first round. I give the Arizona Cardinals Jonah Williams, offensive tackle from Alabama. And here's why Jonah Williams offers you that versatility to plug and play wherever you need him. And I understand it's not a sexy pick, the offensive line. You know, it's hard to pass up on playmakers like Nick Bosa, a short thing edge defender, or a Heisman Trophy candidate in Kyler Murray. But you just drafted Josh Rosen last year. You got to protect the quarterback. You got to give Rosen an opportunity, being that you drafted him so high, to be the player that you drafted him to be. One season is not fair enough to the kid. It's just not. So I think 
offensive line, although it's not the sexy pick, is the logical pick and the best pick for the Arizona Cardinals. It'll benefit the most. Therefore, I give him the best offensive lineman in the draft, Jonah Williams. And that's definitely the same area where I do side with you on this pick. Of course, it's hard for me to see them passing on Nick Bosa. He's probably the most talented player in the draft at arguably the most important position in football outside of quarterback. But they were graded by Pro Football Focus as the worst pass-blocking team in the league in 2018, and they allowed the fifth most sacks. So, so say what you want about whether or not Josh Rosen showed some potential or not this year. I'm not going to say he played great by any means, but I get the Cardinals wanting to give their first-round pick the opportunity to prove himself if he can be a franchise player because he really didn't get that in 2018. Moving on right to the second pick, it's also another guy that you'll probably not see nearly as high on anybody else's draft, but I think the 49ers really needed Greedy Williams, cornerback from LSU. Now, how does this team pass up on Nick Bosa? How do they draft a cornerback that most people might not even argue the best cornerback in the draft? But why do they take him this high? Because you had the worst coverage grade as per pro football focus in the NFL of 37.6. The next lowest was the Oakland Raiders at 55. Almost a 20-point differential. So yes, coverage needs to be paramount in this draft for the 49ers, where in an NFL, quarterback position is paramount. It's the most important thing. So you have to fight that with coverage. And Richard Sherman... I get you signed him to a big contract, but he was already aging, and he's not getting any young. So, Greedy Williams is the need that they have. They need the cornerback position. They need to play better on the back end to give all the all the stock on the defensive line that they already have acquired a chance. They drafted Eric Armstead and Salman Thomas and a couple other guys in the front seven in the past few years, and all of them are pretty productive, solid players. They don't have enough on the back end. I get it, Nick Bosa, sexy pick, Greedy Williams, maybe a little bit of a reach, but you have to stop the passing game in today's NFL. That's why number two overall, the 49ers grab Greedy Williams out of LSU. Yeah, and I do like the size, length, and athleticism that Greedy Williams does provide, and not even because Nick Bosa would still be available in this scenario. I just feel like there is a lot of value to be had at the cornerback position in the later rounds of this draft, so a little bit early in my opinion, but again, that's why I like your mock draft because you aren't just going with those mainstream picks and you have arguments to back it. So, you know, definitely just not much else to say there. I, I like the pick. Moving on to the third overall pick, the New York Jets. This is the one where people really aren't going to agree because once again, I do not have Nick Bosa going. See, but this is one of the first ones that I actually like <laughs> yeah. with Greg Little from Ole Miss, offensive tackle, going to the Jets. The Jets are another team that graded in the bottom half of the NFL in, in pass blocking by pro football focus and I know the Jets have some holes on defense I think that's where you were just gonna kind of explain a little bit and I've seen that New York is a popular mock draft destination for Kentucky edge rusher Josh Allen and I love that pick too I get it but that's a need that I think they can also address in free agency so if they can address that need and take care of that before the draft I think building up that offensive line for a quarterback like Sam Darnold can is a great we saw what that did for Indianapolis this past season building up that offensive line couldn't agree more. Like you said, obviously, they get Greg Little out of offense tech out of Ole Miss. Now, he's a little bit more of a project. He's not as refined as some of these other offense alignment, but he offers you everything you want as far as like a physical standpoint. He gives you, you know, mobility and strength, power. He gives you everything you want. His technique has to be a little bit more refined, 
But going off of what he can offer you from a physical standpoint, it's very promising. And now for everyone that's been waiting for it, the Raiders at number four. Finally, Nick Bosa, defensive end from Ohio State, goes off the board. And I really have nothing to say about this one. If Bosa is still here at number four, you've got to pull the trigger. He's probably the best player in this draft, like I said, and can help fill the void left by the departure of Khalil Mack this past season. Well, you as, as simple as it gets. <laughs> well, well, you nailed it. And I'm not going to go into much further. I'll move right on to the next pick. But I will say, the one thing I will say about this pick in particular is I just love it. It's just too much of a perfect fit. You lose one of the best defensive players in football. You gain one of the, the best defensive prospects in football. You get what I'm saying? Like He has yeah. the opportunity to be even better than Joey Bosa, who's already very good in the NFL. And if he's sitting there at four, He's the best player in the draft. He's got to go. So this one is kind of self-explanatory. So I'll move right on to the Bucks, who they have a couple of holes. Um, so pretty much Bruce Arians comes in, and and this is a huge factor in this decision, is Bruce Arians, I think he'll have the confidence in himself to refine Jameis Winston's game. Jameis Winston has a lot of talent, and we know that. He's been productive. He just makes a lot of mistakes. He you know throws a lot of interceptions. Bruce Arians can handle that. What he can't handle is that they have Brent Grimes, a aging mid-30-year-old cornerback who, quite frankly, probably shouldn't be in the NFL anymore as their top corner. They drafted cornerbacks in the first couple rounds in the past few drafts, and none of them have really panned out. So now they need to go with a guy who is from right around the corner in Georgia, a very well-rounded player, probably the most versatile of the cornerbacks. He could play zoned, he could play man, he could play cover two, cover three, cover one, anything. He can move all around the formation, he can play inside corner, he can play outside corner. That's what you need on the back end in that defense. Give Jameis Winston one more year to prove himself. If not, you're looking at a quarterback next year or the year after that, but for this year, Lock down the back end of that defense. So the only issue that I would have with this pick of DeAndre Baker is that Gerald McCoy might be leaving in free agency this year. So if that does happen, I think the Bucks would be wise to look for defensive linemen. But playing in the pass-happy NFC South definitely requires a strong secondary that Tampa severely lacks right now, and a tough, instinctive player like Baker can definitely help fill that need. But now we'll move right on to the sixth pick of the draft and that is the New York Giants and you have them taking Dwayne Haskins quarterback out of Ohio State and this one's pretty straightforward of course trades could shake this up but the Giants have to be ready to move on from Eli Manning sooner rather than later and I think this is just the perfect time they can let Haskins sit behind Eli for a year and really let him develop his skills we literally just saw this with Patrick Mahomes sitting behind Alex Smith in 2017 and of course you know that didn't turn out too bad so I like this pick for the Giants and I think it's just the right time for them to be looking towards a quarterback. Starting this process was my number one overall quarterback. I actually, believe it or not, believe he's slipping to my second overall quarterback right now. That's called a teaser. You're going to have to check out the second mock draft to figure <laughs> out which um, which direction that slides because I'm actually falling in love with another quarterback prospect that I'm not going to talk about right now. But one quarterback that we will talk about right now is a bit of a surprise. Going to the Jaguars at number seven, you have Daniel Jones out of Duke. And, you know, I was kind of expecting Kyler Murray here, but 
I don't. I like Daniel Jones. From what I've seen, he has great mechanics. He shows some skill running the ball, and really seems like one of the more pro-ready prospects coming out this year. And of course, the Jags had a down year, but that defense is still very legit. And we know they're tired of Blake Bortles dragging them down. So maybe they can get a guy to step in and be effective right away. And that might just be what they need. I just, I was thinking more Kyler Murray here. And well, yes, a little, I, bit, a little bit flashier, I guess. But here's the thing: with Coughlin in place. I think Kyler Murray is a more risky pick that Coughlin and his, you know, wise, his football wisdom will deter the Jaguars from, rightfully so, okay? I'll talk about Kyler Murray in a little bit, but he has a lot of risk involved with him. Daniel Jones, in my opinion, is more of the modern NFL quarterback and somebody that I'm becoming increasingly more fond of as the draft process goes on and I do more of my homework and I do more research he's a guy that the more that I watch I fall in love with every single time so yeah that's why he jumps up to seven for me over the other quarterback prospects especially Kyler Murray with the eighth overall pick is the Detroit Lions they get my personal favorite cornerback in this entire draft Byron Murphy he's just a solid playmaker in my opinion he plays good overall defense, and he has the physical skills to match. He has got versatility. He can play inside and outside. He's got elite recover speed, so he's really, really fast. If he lets somebody behind him, he can easily, you know, keep his cool, turn on the Jets, still make the play. And as for the Lions' need here, there are some other players that might fit well with the Detroit Lions in this position. Yeah, I really think, sorry to cut you off here, but I think the Lions should really be targeting a pass rusher here, especially with Ziggy Ansah entering free agency. The Lions had the 30th ranked pass rush in 2018, and a big part of that was Ansah dealing with injuries that hampered his production even when he was on the field. Now, with what you're saying, the Lions were also one of the worst teams in the league in terms of coverage this past season, so I do get it, but the main knocks against Murphy are his lack of size and speed, so while he may have some natural instincts at the position, I'm just not really sure if I'm convinced that he'll be able to make the impact that the Lions need on defense like building up their pass rush would. And I don't disagree. I do think that the defensive line is a huge need for the Lions. But this actually goes for when I look at the draft, there's a lot more talent on the defensive line than there is in the defensive back group. So what that means is eighth overall in the second round, you can get a good quality defensive lineman, but there might not be the best cornerbacks available at that time. So pull the trigger on on the cornerback in in the eighth overall spot because in the second round, in the eighth overall, you could still get a good defense alignment. And even further so, think about your division. Play against Kirk Cousins with the weapons of Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. You play against Aaron Rodgers, doesn't matter who he's throwing to. And you play against Trubisky, who might not scare you as a passer, but we know he's got a ton of weapons. Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, and Tariq Cohen out of the backfield. And Nagy positions them all over the field well enough to get them in space, get Trubisky's success in production. So I think you have to play against your division here, take advantage. I think in the first round, if you take this cornerback, you'll still be able to get a pass rusher, a quality pass rusher that drops outside of the first round, and you'll be able to build your team the way you need to. But I think you got to pull the trigger on the cornerback here. And now right into Dan's number nine pick, the Buffalo Bills. You have them selecting... Uh... Quite a heartbreak to me, actually. DK Metcalf, you put me onto him about a few months ago, and I fell in love with this wide receiver, and I was really hoping that the Colts were going to be able to grab him. And for the Bills, this is a bit of a luxury pick, in my opinion, but man, with 
Metcalf's talent that definitely warrants a borderline top 10 pick. And we saw Josh Allen's arm this past season. And if you compare that with a true wide receiver one like Metcalf, a big frame, fast, athletic, that could be a super dangerous conversation and really revamp this Buffalo Bills offense. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go into it too much because, you know, you said it. There are other needs, and this seems like a little bit of a luxury pick, but he is not only so good and he's so talented, he can he offers you everything you can possibly want as a wide receiver. If you check out the player profile on Instagram, I literally tell, tell you that his ceiling of production and potential is equal to Julio Jones. So, as an Atlanta Falcons fan, not only might Julio Jones be the best current NFL wide receiver, but he might be the best NFL wide receiver to ever play the game. You realize that I, that means I have high regards and high hopes and optimism for such a player like DK Metcalf. And then just Josh Allen. You just got a good quarterback who, as the year progressed, improved as the year went on. Get him a top-tier weapon because Zay Jones and... Whoever else he's throwing the ball to is not cutting it. And even in the run game, you have LaShawn McCoy who's aging and not really cutting it. So you got to get him some offensive weapons. In an offensive-driven league, DK Metcalf sets that off for the Buffalo Bills. As for the next pick, Broncos at 10. Now, this is a pick. Finally, we see him go. (laughs) This is a pick that, yeah, I'm sure everybody's looking for. So I'll just tell you, it is Kyler Murray, quarterback out of Oklahoma. And let's be real, we know the Broncos are looking quarterback here. Yes. Um, the guy that they've been connected with, just a little sidebar, is Drew Locke. Um, it's rumored that John Elway is a huge fan, and the more that I watch Locke, just like Daniel Jones, he's a guy that I wasn't too high on, that I just keep getting more impressed with. He played in the SEC, so he played against top-tier talent all year in college last year, and he's been very productive from uh, productive for Missouri, but this was... Uh, this draft came out before all that connection made because I would take that into consider- consideration because when inf- when insiders tell you these things, they're usually pretty accurate. There's not there's not just you know it's not just smoke. So, but this came out a little bit before, and I love Kyler Murray in this situation. The Broncos have the ability to take that risk because they're already built for success. Um, they're built for success in the offensive line. They already got players established, and they brought in a great offensive line coach from the Steelers who's had a top-ten offensive line since he's been an offensive line coach. They got good weapons in the passing game with Emmanuel Sanders and Deshaun Hamilton. and Don't don't disrespect Cortland Sutton like Cortland you can't Sutton. remember his name. That's my guy right there. <laughs> Cortland Sutton. I did blank on his name, but I, I said he's a quality player. And then they have yeah, Philip sure. Lindsay and Royce Freeman in the run game now, so your offense is set up for success. It's time to get that facilitator. We know the defense is good. You know they've had a good defense for a while now. So this pick to me makes the most sense. I like the pick. Add some excitement to this offense. Let's bring some electricity into this. You exactly. Know, the only thing up, that I will juice. say about Kyler Murray is he is the riskiest player in the draft, in my opinion. And here's how I sum that up: You can literally get Michael Vick if he plays to his potential. You could also get Terrell Pryor before he became a wide receiver. Ooh. <laughs> as a, as a quarterback, if he doesn't play to his potential, now Terrell Pryor is bigger than him, so like, I just mean production wise. Because if he can't adjust his game to the NFL game, you will set your franchise back multiple years. Because you'll be taking him in the top ten, maybe the top fifteen. You don't know if he can leave at any point to go play baseball. If that looks more promising for him, it's just a really iffy situation. I definitely can almost promise you that he drops in my next mock draft. 
because there's a lot of risk involved. He yeah. can be the best player, or he could be the worst player of the draft. That so. could be Disaster City right there, yeah. which what could also be Disaster City for opposing offenses is this next pick <laughs> for the Cincinnati Bengals. If they select Devin White, linebacker out of LSU, they have Malik Jackson, who's going to be returning from injury in 2019. And this Bengals defense, it just, you know, injuries piled up, and they just became a defense to exploit. And this could be a very different unit that we're looking at. We know that the Bengals already have the weapons on offense. Joe Mixon, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, an established quarterback, whatever you think about Andy Dalton. He has a lot of NFL experience. So if you can really solidify this linebacker core, this could be a pretty strong defense that we're looking at in 2019. If you had a strong linebacker, it don't matter. This is the guy that you got to pick at 11 if he's still on the board. Because to me, he is the modern NFL linebacker. He is a little undersized and not the strongest player on the field. So he gets held up by blocks a little bit, but... He can play sideline to sideline effortlessly, which makes him tough in the run game. He's got natural instincts as a blitzer, create pressure from the interior, and he can cover. He's got the speed and the mobility to run with tight ends and running backs, and he's smart enough intelligently to play zone coverage in the middle so that when people run into the zone, he knows who he should be picking up. He knows who, should, he, sh who he should be running into the next zone. Yeah, like I said, I love that pick, and... This next one, sorry to say, I'm having a harder time. Maybe you can kind of influence me to agree with this one a little bit more, but Deontay Thompson from Alabama, free safety, going to the Green Bay Packers. And my only, the only thing I don't like about this is that with two picks in the first round, I feel like the Packers could address their secondary with their next pick. I really think they'd benefit from edge rushers that are still on the board, like Polite from Florida or Montez Sweat from Mississippi State. I feel like that would, those would be a little bit more impactful for this defense. Well, don't get me wrong. Um, like like you said, they have another pick in this in this round, and I don't do any movement, so they will be picking there. And I have them going again on the defensive side of the ball. Don't worry. I do. I did tell you already though that I think the defensive line and defensive front in this draft is pretty stacked. So I think they'll have an opportunity to grab talented players like that later. I don't think there's another single high free safety. Something that they need very, very badly. There's not another one in this draft that compares to Deontay Thompson. And next up at number 13, you have defensive tackle from Alabama, Quinnen Williams, going to the Miami Dolphins. And do you really think Williams makes it back this far? Honestly, no. I really don't think he drops this far back. And in my next mock draft, he'll probably move up. But, but because of the passing game focus, quarterbacks being elevated into the top tier of the draft and some offense alignment... He ends up dropping out, and the and the Dolphins really benefit from you know Quinn and Williams falling a little bit in the draft. Well, if he does happen to drop this far back, I love this pick. I would have loved this pick for just about any team. Quinn and Williams is an absolute stud. Just about every snap that I watched of this guy, he was facing a double team, and more times than not, he was still managing to get pressure on the quarterback. So, so a really great pick for whatever team manages to land him. Even though I would have loved for him to fall to the Falcons, he didn't make it there, and. That'll be the no, the number 14 pick. As the Falcons fan, I gave them Ed Oliver, defensive tackle for Houston. I think you saved Ed Oliver just till 14 so you could give him to yourself. Well, joke's on you because I am not a fan of this pick. I and, love uh, this one. I actually gave it to Ed Oliver. I'll, I'll let you chime in a little bit. But the reason why I did it is because it's not about what I like for the Falcons. It's about that Dan Quinn prioritizes speed and explosiveness over some other traits in the, on the defensive side of the ball. Ed Oliver fits his scheme, in my opinion. He fits what, what Dan Quinn looks for in a defender, high-motor kind of guy. Great player, don't get me wrong. But 
I just think, as a Falcons fan, we have Grady Jarrett in place, who is an excellent pass rusher, also a little undersized, just like Ed Oliver, and he offers you that explosion. So you should get a, a defensive lineman big enough to clog the middle, really push the pocket, and do a different job than we already have in place. I just think Ed Oliver is too similar to Grady Jarrett, who we already have in place. They're going to get the jobs done completely different ways because they're not built the same. They pretty much they, they, they do the same thing, and I just they're too similar. I think you could go a different route. But at 14, Ed Oliver should go. That's why he ended up going. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. And he's so versatile. He's really like a Swiss army knife. You can move him all around your defensive scheme. So I think with Dan Quinn, he wants to switch things up and move guys around. So I think he fits what the Falcons want to do very well. And, of course, we know that offense is still very high-powered. So, I mean, Matt Ryan put up better stats this year than he did the year he won MVP. So they need to bolster that defense and – I think, you know, Ed Oliver, just blue chip talent going at 14. That's a steal. And now next up at number 15, the Washington Redskins. You have them selecting Mac Wilson, linebacker from Alabama. And and really my only knock about this pick is that with Alex Smith already done for 2019, I wouldn't be surprised if the Redskins try to trade up to secure a quarterback if they aren't able to do so in free agency with Nick Foles, maybe, or someone. So, of course, this mock draft is an accounting for potential trade, so I'll kind of let you take this one away and explain your pick here. Not only did I not have them move up, but I didn't want to give them quarterback here because I didn't think the value fit. I, at the time when I was writing this, I wasn't sold on Drew Locke yet, uh, and the top three guys have already gone. I didn't want to force anybody into the first round, and it, it is still a need, and they've been drafting defensive Alabama players for quite a while. They have Reed and Payne, on the defensive line, who are both defensive Alabama players. They just signed Reuben Foster, who they don't know what's exactly going to happen with his future yet, but he's an Alabama defense, an Alabama linebacker. So they tend to dip into that talent pool quite often, stay with their same draft strategy, and take Mac Wilson, who I think is a great player for them and would really be a huge benefit for their team. 16th overall pick, the Carolina Panthers, and I have them taking Cody Ford off of the tackle, Oklahoma. He's a little short for the tackle position, but he still has length, and he's very quick for his size. His talent will make him an immediate impact on a not-so-impressive offensive line unit. His ability to move will be advantageous to both Christian McCaffrey and Cam Newton, who thrive on the off- who thrive in space. So having an offensive lineman who can get the second-level blocks and really get out and be a lead blocker for a faster quarterback and running back is advantageous so he's a good fit it's definitely a team need I think there's definitely some other needs on the team but offensive line super important super important you know how I feel the game is won in the trenches this is the smart pick to me 100% and I'm not even sure what Cam Newton's status will be going into 2019 with his shoulder right now but the Panthers have to upgrade the outside of their offensive line regardless of who they have throwing the ball we saw it in 2018 and they need to make improvements going forward. So I've, I like this pick a lot. And moving on to number 17, of course, I love this pick. I would just be very surprised if he makes it this far. Josh Allen, edge rusher out of Kentucky. 17 sacks, 21 and a half tackles for loss in 2018. That speaks for itself. Allen is an absolute stud, one of the top edge rushers in a talented draft class. I'd be surprised if he does make it this far. But if the Browns are able to snag him, that defense will be a nightmare to deal with in 2019. Yeah, just like I said about Devin White and Nick Bosa, at this point in the draft, if he is on the draft board, hard to believe, I agree, but he's got to go. And don't be surprised if it moves up a little bit. So if maybe the Browns 
are looking at maybe not Josh Allen, but definitely sticking with this position, an edge rusher, somebody who can you know play that position. Don't be surprised if it's not Josh Allen next mock draft because he'll probably move up a little bit. He's definitely a guy who I like a lot. Moving on to the Minnesota Vikings at 18. This is the easiest pick of the draft. This is the one that we're going to not talk about at all. We're not going to spend any time on. The roster is stacked. They have one issue in, in yep. Minnesota, and it's that offensive line. So I think all seven picks go to that offensive line. I don't care what they got to do. They were the worst offensive line graded by Pro Football Focus in multiple years. So they need to be better. They need to you know, figure out a lot of things. They got Dalvin Cook. They got Kirk Cousins. They got too much to not be successful. So <laughs> I was so focused on how many offensive linemen they should draft. I didn't mention the guy that I give him is Jay Wan Taylor out of Florida, who at this point in the draft is just the best offensive line prospect still available and honestly a monster. He shouldn't be going this late anyway. He might go before some of the other offensive line prospects that I have. He's the best one available, and no doubt that's who the Vikings will be taking, whoever the best offensive lineman available is. Definitely agree there. I think someone like Taylor can provide an immediate upgrade to Minnesota's pass and run blocking, so no arguments with that one. But at number 19, you have the Tennessee Titans taking Nikhil Harry, wide receiver out of ASU. And I do have an argument for this one, just because I feel like you're counting out my boy Corey Davis. You know I love that guy, but I'm only kind of joking when I say that. And realistically, we can't lie from what we've seen so far. The Titans definitely need some added juice in their passing attack. And you really put me on to Harry again with DK Metcalf a few months back. And at 6'4", 215 pounds with the ability to make plays after the catch, this guy's a stud. And I think, you know, you got to give Marcus Mariota another option in the passing game. And like you said with Jameis Winston, really give him the last chance, I guess you can say, to prove himself as the franchise quarterback. No, you nailed it. I'm thinking the same thing with them. They have the talent on the offensive line. They already have their trenches built. They have a good defense. They got players in the secondary, player in the front sevens. They got two good running backs. Although they were wrongfully deployed this past season between Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry. I don't want to talk about it. That's definitely the case. But they're still talented players nonetheless. You need to make that decision about Marcus Mariota, and that's what this is about. So, yeah, Corey Davis might not be the best player, might not be the player you drafted him to be, or maybe he is. But Nikhil Harry can either then be the number one guy or the number two guy. It doesn't matter. There's enough going around in the passing game, or at least should be in, in today's NFL, where you can sustain two wide receivers and you benefit from two wide receivers. So whether it's whether it's Corey Davis or him, I think it's a complimentary piece or the, the number one guy, I think it's a great pick. As for the Steelers, they haven't been the same since they lost Ryan Shazier. Over the middle, so I give them T.J. Edwards out of Wisconsin, who played alongside, who played alongside T.J. Watt, giving him some camaraderie on the team, and just overall a player, another linebacker who excels in run defense, coverage, and blitzing. That's the modern NFL linebacker. They ask you to do a lot, but if you can do it efficiently, you'll have a position in the NFL. T.J. Edwards from. Wisconsin, that's where I think he'll yeah. go. And we saw the success that the Patriots just had this past weekend with linebackers that can do that, like Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy. So I like that pick for the Steelers. And at number 21 for the Seattle Seahawks, you have Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle from Clemson, heading out to Seattle. And he's just a solid interior pass rusher. He can really bring pressure up the middle to collapse the pocket and get after the quarterback. So I like this pick a lot. The Seahawks have to get younger on defense with Frank Clark potentially leaving in free agency. And this could be a huge pickup in getting them back 
to being that dominant pass rushing team that they were in years past. And I couldn't agree more. He is one of my favorite interior defensive linemen. I don't be, another player, don't be surprised if he moves up the draft board as time goes on. But up next, the Ravens are such a strong defensive team, and I have them getting even stronger at the 22nd overall pick with Devin Bush, linebacker, Michigan. Now, there's two players that are coming out of Michigan, Michigan this year. You haven't heard either of their names. This is the first one. Um... The other one is Rashawn Gary, and both of them are the same deal. They are completely very raw prospects. So as good as and talent as potential they may have, it's not so refined, and they have a lot to learn. And they have, you know, they're more athletes than they are football players right now. So they fall to the back end of the draft, and the Ravens really benefit from that. This is another guy who I say he, they all of these guys can do these three things. This guy does the coverage and the pass rushing very very well. He's a little bit worse in the run defense, but he is amazing, amazing, amazing in blitz and in coverage. He's very fast, very explosive. Devin Bush out of Michigan, a great pick for the Ravens, although they probably have a ton of offensive needs. I just think this is a, a defensive-driven team, and they'll stick with defense. Yeah, I did expect a wide receiver to go here, especially with John Brown potentially leaving in free agency, but then I looked a little bit deeper, and the Ravens also have a lot of guys on their defense that are going to be entering free agencies. So no arguments here. And next up, one of the, in my opinion, most obvious picks of this draft right now, number 23, you have the Houston Texans taking Andre Dillard, offensive tackle from Washington State. And he's one of the top offensive tackles in this year's draft class. So I'm not even sure if we have to discuss this one much after the year that the Texans offensive line had. Whether Dillard is still available at pick 23 or not, I think we can all assume that the offensive line is going to be a primary focus for the Texans this offseason. No doubt. And then at 24, I have the Oakland Raiders with their second of three picks in the first round. Stacking up that defensive line with Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle, Mississippi State. He's highly regarded as one of the very best prospects in this draft. But with some of the off-field issues, I believe he slides to the back end. But at some point, his skill and potential is just too much to ignore. The Raiders can start looking toward the future with two solid picks on the defensive front and one more pick to go in this first round. And that's exactly what I had about Jeffrey Simmons. Didn't think he'd be here at 24. Then I learned about the off-field issues from 2016. And, you know, it's definitely possible he slides down. And if the Raiders are able to snag Simmons with their number four pick of Nick Bosa, this could be a very different defensive unit that we're looking at in 2019. So I love that one there. And this next one is actually pretty exciting. I'll let you uh, start this one off for us. So at 25 overall, I have uh, the first and only running back in the first round of my mock draft going to the Philadelphia Eagles, Josh Jacobs, running back from Alabama. He's the most talented running back in this draft, actually by far, in my opinion. He His skill set that he offers you is just, it's complete, it's explosive, it's strong, it's fast. He isn't the most productive because he only had 251 carries in three years at Bama. There's positive and negatives to this. Yes, you haven't seen a huge body of work, so that's a little frustrating and a little nerve-wracking. But he also isn't injured. He doesn't have injury concerns. He He doesn't have too much wear and tear on his body. That could also be seen as a benefit. He's just a well-rounded runner, offers production in the run and receiving game. If you know me, I don't advocate for the running backs in the first round very often, but at the back end of the draft, with the potential top-tier running back on the board, this is the perfect time to pull the trigger and complete an offense that is already well-built in the passing game, offensive line, and quarterback. Why not give them a dynamic runner and then 
turn towards the defense for the rest of the draft. Couldn't agree more with that one. And at number 26, we have my boys, the Indianapolis Colts, and you have them taking J.J. Arcego-Whiteside, wide receiver from Stanford. And I can't say I'm a huge fan of this one. I'm not sure it's because I was such a big fan of D.K. Metcalf and Nikhil Harry that to get a prospect other than those guys, I just think that the Colts have some more pressing needs, especially at edge rusher with two second-round picks. I think they could probably scoop up Whiteside a little bit later on. But I'm not going to deny that the Colts do need a solid wide receiver to pair up with T.Y. Hilton. Before I move on to the Raiders, I just want to say about your Colts, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in the Pro Football Focus Draft goes in the top 15. So he was one of the most productive wide receivers at Stanford. He's very impressive. There's no reason why you should be upset about him. And not only that, on your offense, you have a great offensive line. You have a very talented running back in Marlon Mack. You have Andrew Luck, who looks like sky's the limit once again in his return. You have T.Y. Hilton, who is a good wide receiver, short, fast wide receiver, who just plays a different game as J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. To me, it's just too much of a complimentary piece that makes too much sense. Don't get me wrong. If Nikhil Harry or D.K. Metcalf find their way to this pick, both of those guys go before J.J. in my opinion. But by no means should you be upset by J.J. And they found value, the Colts did, in Darius Leonard and Kamiko Torre later in the draft. I think they'll be able to do that again on the defensive side of the ball. So take the surefire stud to complete the offense again, just like the Eagles. Complete that offensive look that you have. Give you a big red zone target. You know, somebody who can make plays, make impressive catches that T.Y. Hilton just can't make because of his size. And then focus on the defense. And if they draft anything like they did last year, they'll be more than fine with finding talent later in the draft on defense. As for the Raiders, their defense was terrible last year, so just triple down and go with one of in my opinion another another linebacker that offers you the three factors that you're looking for in the modern day middle linebacker that's the ability to blitz cover and help in run defense he checks all those bo- boxes and he's probably the smartest of the linebackers attending Notre Dame graduating with honors and just being and just being on a team that really holds you to a little bit of a higher academic standard should definitely benefit him when teams sit down with him and get to meet him and now that he's also called plays he knows how to do so so really complete that defense lock down that front seven by getting two talented players on the defensive line one linebacker who can be the not only a great defensive player for you but it offers great leadership qualities and the intelligence to be a defensive Mike linebacker, a guy who's got to read offensive lines, offensive schemes, and make play calls and, and changes. And then next up at number 28, you have the Los Angeles Chargers taking Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle, out of Clemson. And I like this pick, 6'4", 315 pounds. He's pretty quick for his size, and that would certainly help him develop as a pass rusher combined with his strength. But he's certainly going to be a problem to run the ball against. I think he'll be able to make an immediate impact in that aspect of the game, especially speaking a few weeks back about how Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa create their pressure. I think a compliment like Dexter Lawrence would be great for the LA Chargers. Well, with the Chargers, they just don't have many holes on their roster to begin with. Maybe offensive line. So I don't. No, their offensive <laughs> line is very good. So yeah. their defensive line is really an interior defensive line is really their only real holes where they don't have studs at the position. You get what I'm saying? Because um, they have some pretty good players everywhere and even on the defensive line, but they don't have studs at the defensive interior line. 
And that's why I give him, and that's why they get Dexter Lawrence, who drops because he did have the failed PED test. So at this point, if the Chargers were able to scoop up this interior defense alignment, definitely a home run hit for them. At number 29, the Chiefs take Montez Sweat, edge rusher from Mississippi State. Now, he has all the physical traits desired for the position, except for strength. He is long, fast, he can get separation, he bends around the end to be a very effective pass rusher. If he wishes to become a more well-rounded player, though, he needs to add a little size and strength to be more effective against the run. He has the desired frame and adds immediate impact in the pass rush. With Justin Houston at 30 and D. Ford set to hit the open market in free agency, the Chiefs need a pass rusher, even though they were one of the best, best pass rushing teams in the NFL last season. I personally wouldn't be surprised if D. Ford returns to the Chiefs this season. And initially, I thought that they should look towards improving their secondary as they actually graded out as the top pass rushing team in the NFL by Pro Football Focus in 2018. But again, going back to that episode about two weeks ago, I remember you going into detail about how they generate pressure up the middle rather than on the edge like you see the Chargers with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. So Montez Sweat, he's one of the best edge rushers in this year's draft, and I think he'd be a great compliment to that Justin Houston D4 front that they're currently working with. And next up at number 30, you have the Green Bay Packers with a pick from the New Orleans Saints taking Jalen Ferguson, edge rusher out of Louisiana Tech, 45 sacks in college, including 17 and a half this past season. This guy is ready to play in the NFL. I love his physicality and going to the Packers who they had a decent pass rush this past season, but I think he'll be able to make an immediate impact and really bolster that Packers defense up front. Yeah, so just that's the defensive line pick that you were looking for and a guy where the reason why this guy with 17 and a half sacks falls to 30 overall is because he is a raw prospect. He has all the physical traits, but his his technique and everything needs to be refined. His physical abilities led him to shine at a school like Louisiana Tech where he was just physically outmatching the the tackles that he was going against. But now when he reaches the NFL, he's going to have to refine that technique. He's a little bit of a project. That's why he falls to the back end. Nonetheless, a great prospect for the Packers. At 31 overall, the Rams take Rashawn Gary, Edge, Michigan. This is the other defender from Michigan that I said. Slides a little bit because he's very raw. but with He also missed a lot of time due to injuries in college. Yes, so he did. There are some concerns over his durability, exactly. but definitely not over the talent. This yeah. guy's a stud. With very little holes to fill on the Rams roster, they get an extremely high potential player in Gary. Rashawn is a raw prospect, though. Offers very everything you want with size, speed, and power. In fact, Daryl Jeremiah from NFL Network calls him a freak and his number four overall prospect. He can rush the passer, play the run, and even has the athletic ability to cover in the slot wide receivers. That's incredible. It's one thing to be able to run with tight ends and running backs, but slot wide receivers is a whole nother ballgame. But his raw ability needs to be coached up, and he has missed some time due to injury concerns that you just talked about forcing him to fall to the back end of the draft. Yeah, and especially with some questions surrounding the Rams' defensive line with Dante Fowler and Ndamukong Su potentially hitting the open market this offseason, this would be one of the easiest picks of all time if he's still available in the back end of the first round. No doubt about it. And we'll go right into the last pick of the draft, 32nd, o- 32nd overall, the New England Patriots, and I have them taking Taylor Rapp, safety out of Washington, for two reasons. One, this is hands down my favorite player in this draft. And I just, secondly, I couldn't let him outside of the first round. There are 
maybe other players that, you know, should be in the first round as well. I can't let this guy fall into the second round. He's going to go higher in my mock draft. He would be a perfect fit, honestly, for the New England Patriots who well, prioritize intelligence over physical ability. Well, my exact notes on this guy are that he's the prototypical Patriots pick right here. This kid, he's not the most talented by any means, but he's also a little undersized, but he's super disciplined and reliable, and that's been reflected in his production throughout his time in Washington. And I mean, look at the guys on the Patriots roster right now. They look for guys that are tough, disciplined, smart players, and that's exactly what Taylor Rapp is, so I couldn't agree more with this one. Yeah, I mean, just to like, like he does it all. He played in-the-box free safety. As the in-the-box free safety, he gets through traffic well, makes tack- good tackles. He only missed two tackles all year last year in college. He also has the versatility to play single high free safety, where he graded out, as per pro football focus, 91 overall, fourth best out of any coverage player in de- on defense in the NCAA last year. So the fourth best coverage player in college football last year and only missed two tackles in run defense. An absolute savage can play all over the field. And he does so, like I said, not with the elite elite athletic ability that you typically see in first-round NFL draft prospects, but he does so by playing smart, taking good angles to the football, being technically sound, and playing football the way it's supposed to be played. My favorite prospect in the draft undoubtedly in my second mock draft, I could tell you he might move up as high as into the top 15. Whew. That's how good I, uh, that's how highly I have this player revered in my first mock draft though. I couldn't let him fall out of the second round, New England Patriots. And I agree with you. Perfect fit, perfect fit for them. They constantly prioritize IQ over physical ability. And this guy is that to the T. And that is all that we have for you guys on episode 43 of the Football MD Podcast. We gave you guys our Super Bowl recap, our first look at my co-host Dan's very first mock draft of 2019. And I know he worked very hard on this. I think he did an amazing job highlighting some players that maybe aren't so popular in mainstream circles, but certainly fit some team needs to a T. Guys, remember when the Patriots, when they set their big board every single year, they don't have the top prospects ranked in the order that everyone else does. They have everyone ranked in the order that fits what they need on their team. And I think that's what Dan did here. And that's why I respect his work so much. He really put a lot of thought into it. And I loved getting to question him and kind of push his buttons a little bit here. And he answered every question flawlessly. So we're going to keep bringing you these mock drafts as the offseason progresses, as we approach the 2019 NFL draft. And like Dan said earlier in the episode, for more insights into his draft process and into even more football content, Make sure you're following us at Football MD Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and heading over to FootballMDPodcast.com for full articles on everything NFL. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is our first full season. The Super Bowl is officially over, and we're moving into our first offseason as a podcast, and we're so happy to have you guys along with us, and we hope you continue to join us, and you know, make sure you guys are reaching out to us on social media. We'd love to hear from you guys, love to hear what teams you want us to cover more often, more frequently, and you know, argue with us. Let us know where you think we came up short, players that we missed, calls that we missed. It only makes us better as a show and allows us to deliver you guys a better product, so I really can't thank you guys enough. Thank you again so much, and, you know, we don't have an off-season, so until next week, guys.